This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. This week, I'm bringing you an interview with Mayor Todd Gloria from San Diego. We talked about homelessness and, of course, the ordinance that he was pushing and his theories behind it and this new balance he's striking between what he says is you don't want to criminalize uh, and dehumanize homeless individuals, but they can't say no any longer. Uh, We go into it pretty in depth and as much as I could within that 30 minutes, and I think it was worth it. And just a note, this podcast was recorded on Friday, June 9th. So we talked about the vote coming to the city council on June 13th, which has already happened. You can see all of our coverage about that vote with the morning report at vosd.org slash morning. That's vosd.org slash morning. Also, we're bringing you this interview during our end of fiscal year fundraising campaign. Every dollar we get right now is truly critical for our future. Uh, We're running towards uh, a deficit we're trying to close and want to make sure that we can continue to provide high quality and important reporting for the year to come. So if you value our unique reporting style, our coverage, these types of interviews with local leaders and this podcast in particular, now is the time to give. Join now at VOSD.org slash pod people. That's VOSD.org slash pod people. Thank you. Well, joining us in the studio is uh, Mayor Gloria. Uh, How are you, sir? I'm excellent, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. I don't want to waste any time. We only have uh, a little bit, so I'm going to get right into it. Please. On Tuesday, you will talk to the city council and try to persuade them to approve the new ordinance that would ban encampments on public land at all times, in all places, if uh, there is shelter available and near schools and other sensitive areas when there is no matter what all the time i am interested to see how that vote and discussion goes i'm sure you are as well you've been pushing and talking about it a lot in the community let me just ask you very basically what does the ordinance do to city law that city law is incapable of um 
facilitating right now? Well, a couple of things. I think uh, at the outset, I think this is an opportunity to reassert what our expectations are of really everyone who uses our public spaces. Uh, some of those expectations have been muddied uh, in the last couple of years because of the pandemic uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, and I think it does warrant clarification. But you know, there's been comments made about what the existing laws are and how this may be different. I think the most important difference are those sensitive sites, the schools, parks, waterways, canyons, uh, sh- homeless shelters, places where we want to control the time, manner, and place uh, of encampments in those areas in order to boost safety and public health. Uh, so I think that's a significant difference. Uh, it also takes some steps in around cleanups and hotspot efforts that our environmental services workers are very excited to have the opportunity to be able to remove more rubbish from the public right away. But bottom line, Scott, is that we're reestablishing the expectations in San Diego of really all users of the public space and specifically taking additional action to protect sensitive sites like schools, parks, and public spaces. What, what about the law doesn't allow you to do that now? Well, the law allows us to, which is why we're proposing this law. Mm-hmm. But with regard to the existing law in the city, it is not specific to these sensitive sites that we're concerned about. Uh, we do have various sort of things that tie our hands relative to Boise versus Idaho, uh, the Boise case, uh, other existing settlements that have made it more difficult than we would like uh, to work in these spaces. It's still going to be difficult. We're still going to have to provide notices to folks before we perform abatements. Our intentions and expectations are that we'll do outreach with non-police uh, uh, personnel uh, to try and encourage folks to accept shelter services. But right now, Scott, the state on our affairs on our streets are absolutely unacceptable. And I believe what this will do is give us that enhanced ability in those sensitive locations, as well as, as remind people what our expectations are for across the city with regard to encampment in public spites. Yeah, th- we have a several years now of experience of different levels of enforcement. When you were running for mayor in 2019, um, you released a chronic our chronic homelessness plan and in it you said in response in part to the enforcement that Kevin Faulkner was doing as mayor at the time that you would pursue no more quote criminalization or criminalizing the existence of San Diego's poorest and sickest residents and that was again in reaction it seemed like to the enforcement mechanisms that he was employing at the time uh, what about this um, is different from what he was doing then or what you felt like needed to be done then? I think the most important difference is the amount of services, specifically shelter beds that we're providing as a city today that were not being provided back then. And the challenge, Scott, is that over the last two and a half years that I've served as mayor, we have invested a tremendous amount of taxpayer money to provide not just additional outreach, but shelter and housing opportunities. And unfortunately, what we're finding from our outreach workers is many of their offers of assistance are declined. And as we've seen the population of our on-street homeless population grow, uh, we just received the most recent point in time count. The numbers are sobering and illustrative of the fact the problem uh, is becoming uh, larger. That additional increase in population coupled with the substantial increase in services that we're providing, uh, I think warrant this ordinance. Uh, When we're providing over $200 million a year in taxpayer funds for homeless outreach, shelter, and services, uh, when we offer services, the answer cannot be no. That's what I feel like, if we were to boil this down, you want to, is it fair to say you want to send a message as much as you want to literally change the law? Well, it's both. I mean, we're we're changing the law, right? We're not going through this exercise for some, you know, public theater of some kind. This has substance attached to it. It has ramifications attached to it for, for lack of following these new expectations. 
But upon becoming mayor, when you discover that things like we couldn't incarcerate people for a lot of crimes because of the the public mandate, right, around uh, around health, uh, when bail was waived, uh, when whole systems were sort of shut down, like it did in all of our lives, right? But this is also true in the homeless ecosystem. I think importantly, the CDC guidance to not disrupt encampments. What we know is that one tent becomes two tents, becomes four, becomes eight, becomes 16, and then you have Commercial Street, Newton Street, National Avenue, um, where we have these unacceptable conditions. Now, we didn't look at that and say, okay, well, let's go abate. What we did was set about deliberately increasing the amount of services and sheltering opportunities, congregate, non-congregate, senior-specific, women-only, list goes on and on, changing our rules to actually increase occupancy because we removed some of the barriers that would get people to say yes. As we remove those excuses or barriers to utilizing our system and folks continue to say no, we do need to send a message that that's just not a acceptable and that the conditions that we see at parks all across this community where children are trying to play or go to school and they're having to interact with people who are actively using drugs blocking the public right-of-way using public spaces as bathrooms none of these things are acceptable so yes we want to send a message but we also want a law with teeth that's attached to it that allows us to actually get the enforcement and encourage people to enter our shelter system accept care and end their homelessness leaving people on the sidewalk means that's not going to happen so you touch a nerve with me on that because the um, it's something we deal with. I wasn't able to attend my daughter's softball practice last night, the team I helped manage, but one of my coaches, when I finally got there, uh, said that when she arrived at four, there was a, a man uh, defecating right near first base. Uh, she didn't know what to do. She didn't know who to call or how to deal with it, but it was obviously disturbing for the for the girls that were arriving for practice. You you spoke with the Perkins Elementary principal the other day and talked, and he was on the record, listing all of the things his kids have to see as they walk and approach school. And we're, we're getting kind of a, a barrage of these sort of uh, stories that really paint a dystopian picture of our, of our city and urban landscape. But I guess with, when it comes to drug use, you know, public defecating and violent fights that you list in these press conferences, what is it about our current enforcement and police and public services that is not able to deal with those especially violent and already illegal things that are happening what stops the city from from stopping it now we can and we should and i expect our officers to do precisely that i expect our prosecutors to prosecute those cases our judges to hear those cases and folks to incarcerate people who are found guilty that's my expectation now does that always happen not in every instance but scott part of why we're doing the unsafe camping ordinance is the recognition that encampments unfortunately do attract crime I'm not here saying it's homeless people doing the crime. Often they're the subjects or the targets of crimes. Encampments are a rich breeding ground for drug traffickers, human traffickers, uh, the people who are coming to those areas. And often when it's drugs and human uh, prostitution, that it also begets other things, like the violence we saw just last week uh, on commercials and down in Barrio Logan East Village. The encampments often attract this kind of behavior, and that's precisely why it's not safe to leave people out there. So yes, we should enforce upon any violation of our laws, misdemeanor or felony. Uh, but we have to recognize that a lot of this crime, a lot of the fires that we're seeing in our communities are directly associated with the concentration of encampments. And that's why we have to be very clear that encampments are not acceptable in our city. Mm-hmm. So these, these quality of life problems that we have are made worse by the encampments. Your theory is that if you get rid of those, that it would have the knock on effect of, of improving those areas? 
What I know is if you don't have encampments and open spaces like our canyons, the number of fires in the city will go down dramatically. Uh-huh. Uh, when you don't have a concentration of folks who are addicted to substances in the same block, then drug dealers will go somewhere else. Uh, it is about providing relief to these areas. You mentioned you know, the, the, the coach. You, know, you should be able to go to a public park and not witness someone defecating. Uh, if they're defecating in the park because we allow people to encamp in our parks, then you understand why we shouldn't allow people to encamp in our parks. Yeah. So by far the most common request I'm getting from people say you should report on this or you should figure out this is about that idea about what the police can and can't do. The police overwhelmingly in every public setting that they're in right now say that their hands are tied by state laws that um, you know minimize punishment on certain things, uh, that they can't do certain things. Now, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is still illegal under these laws, but they're they're acting like they're kind of unable to to act. Uh, prosecutors say they're not getting the cases that they need, and everybody's just kind of pointing fingers. And everybody acts like it's an easy reporting project for me to like figure out why it's happening. And we've had you know reporters talking to people trying to figure it out. But the fact is is that there's there is something blocking it up. And what is that? Uh, and why can't more be done? Do you know? I think there's a multitude of reasons. The part that I can most directly control is the setting of the expectations. And I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, but, sure. but go with me on this. Uh, in my State of the City address in January, I issued an executive order around expediting of permits for 100% affordable housing projects. Uh, when we vetted this with staff, there was some resistance, some real concerns about whether or not that was going to be feasible or whether or not we should even do it. We're in the middle of a housing affordability crisis, and it seems to me that we should absolutely prioritize the creation of more low-income housing in, in our city. So I signed the executive order. Scott, here we are months later where city staff is meeting that expectation. We are issuing those permits in that speedy way. And so with regard to this issue of encampments, sending a strong message to all that are involved about what our expectations are from the mayor and the city council, I think is extremely powerful for making sure that when an officer sees something happening, that they know that they're empowered and expected to act, that prosecutors know that we do want them to bring these cases, and that from our judges to our sheriff and to the state, that we want folks incarcerated. Scott, there has to be consequences for illegal behavior in our society. We know what happens when that does not occur. We can't have that happen here in San Diego. Do you think that those expectations were muddied, like you said? And is that because of the pandemic or because of your own sort of setting of them? I think it's larger the pandemic. When you're following the public health guidance from the Centers for Disease Control that says you shouldn't disrupt encampments, you understand why they persisted and, 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 and grew. Uh, with regard to enforcement of what are sometimes referred to as petty crimes, misdemeanors, I've always bristled at the suggestion um, by past city leaders who've said, well, it's a get out of jail free card. Baloney. They, when they're referencing Prop 47, we reclassified certain felonies as misdemeanors. Let us all be clear. Misdemeanors are still punishable by several months in jail. And I think that we should enforce upon that. You and I would not want to have a misdemeanor. We would not want to be arrested for a felony and misdemeanor. And what I'm saying is that we need to enforce those rules. So I think there have been many signals to all that are involved about whether or not we prioritize stuff. When I talk to the courts now, you know, they certainly are impaired by the backlog of cases that have, you know, uh, accumulated, the lack of bailiffs and court reporters. I mean, there are a host of challenges. But much like with that DSD example and permitting for affordable housing, you understand how, again, when we can set a clear expectation that we want these cases brought to court. And, Scott, I want to be clear. 
that the court experience for these individuals can sometimes be illuminating. I've talked to many homeless people who said when you stand in front of a judge and they tell you you either can go to jail or you can go to rehab, which did you want to do? They choose rehab. And it puts them on a path to ending their homelessness. Without having these interventions, without having the opportunity to give people this path, after we've provided them many other opportunities to directly access our shelter system, then we have to have this tool in our toolbox. Otherwise, we're going to continue to see the growth of encampments on our sidewalks. Are the cops following your message on that? Are they listening and following? Are they going to do what you're saying they should do? So this ordinance has been developed with the consultation of Chief Nislight and his command staff. They have assured me that they understand the expectation and they're going to be able to execute upon it. But Scott, I have been going to police lineups to talk with officers personally so they can see and hear from me directly about what my expectations are, that in this city, lawlessness will not rule the day, that I expect the laws to be enforced. And if anyone doesn't like that, they should try to change the law, but we cannot ignore the law. When this law first went through, this proposed ordinance at at the Rules Committee, it it hit probably the biggest criticism, which was that it is not accompanied by significant shelter options. You've since then uh, released a comprehensive shelter solutions plan. I I went through it. One of the things that stuck out for me was uh, this sentence. It said, on average, there are 32 instances of bed unavailability every day. Basically, people, cops in particular, who are taking, trying to get somebody into shelter and they cannot do it, that there were 1,200 instances last year alone when shelter was inaccessible in those moments. Um, There's far more people out there unsheltered than there are shelter spots. And uh, now you're going to say you're not allowed to not take those shelter spots. That feels like a pretty significant disconnect. Now you're saying we're going to open a safe camping site. We're going to do a couple of other things, but the numbers still don't add up. So how does that work out in your head? Pretty simply. I mean, first off, the law does not require us to have a one-for-one option. You mentioned the 32 people who may raise their hand for which we can accommodate on a daily basis, but that's in the context of over 10,000 homeless people in our county, right? It's a small fraction of folks who are willing to say yes. I think once we set the expectation, more people will say yes, which is why we propose not one, but two safe sleeping sites that combined together uh, could have as many as 534 tent opportunities. And obviously, sometimes tents have more than one person. So you can see pretty quickly um, how we will be able to almost immediately set that up, right? We think that 20th and B can be up and running by July 1st uh, with Ola, the other site, uh, shortly thereafter. My point is this. We can, can we can't continue to invest in these solutions if folks are not going to use them. And I think with the setting of the expectation, providing those interventions, plus the other things that we're proposing in terms of further expansion of our safe parking lots, more congregate and non-congregate shelters, establishment of an expansion of our family unification program. As you saw in the comprehensive shelter strategy, there are a ton of solutions that are there. And the city council is going to have an opportunity to discuss that in tandem with the unsafe camping ordinance on Tuesday in order to understand that this is not just one thing of the ordinance. It's the ordinance plus additional expansions in our shelter capacity in order to serve more people. But again, making more investments in this space while the the deterioration on the sidewalk continues and most people turn us down for services, that can't continue. We have to change that paradigm. There was a massive and troubling increase in the population as counted by the point in time count, the one-day census that's done to see what the extent of homelessness is, both sheltered and unsheltered in the county. 
and a lot of really troubling numbers about seniors, about uh, every population. It was just, it was really troubling to read. What is your, when you, when you and your staff talk about why that happened, what have you settled on? Well, what I find with homelessness is that it's uh, the most complex problem that people crave a simple solution to yeah. or answer, and there just isn't one. Primarily, my first answer to you would be the lack of affordable housing in our community. And you've seen me and the city council work aggressively to change that. We're one of the few pro-housing cities in the state of California as designated by the state's housing and community development department. Uh, we have a host of uh, housing actions. We've passed one housing action package. We've got a second one that's currently going through the bureaucratic process. We're trying to lead on housing. But after housing, Scott, we have a massive mental health crisis that we do not talk nearly enough about. It affects all of us. It might be anxiety for one person, depression for another, but it could be substance use disorder and severe psychotic, uh, schizophrenic, bipolar uh, conditions that often play out on the street. Uh, So housing affordability, mental health crisis, and last but certainly not least is fentanyl. Uh, you know, I, I served on the city council from 20, 2008 to 2016. I was in Sacramento for four years. Uh, when I came back to City Hall, where we have always had homeless encampments around our property, what I've noticed in terms of the difference, the acuity, the illness, the, 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 the disorder, um, I think is directly attributable to this new, very powerful illegal drug uh, that makes people lay out on the middle of the sidewalk in the middle of the day, in the middle of the elements, blocking people's right of way. Um, you know, it's an anesthetic, which means that our many outreach workers are not capable of having real conversations with these folks because they're not present. And when they come to and start coming down, they act erratically. Um, the, the pills themselves or the, the substance themselves is relatively cheap. And so the ability to, to panhandle or steal or do other things to actually feed that habit is evident. So it's the answer is the lack of affordable housing, a mental health crisis, and substance use, specifically fentanyl, that I identify as being why these numbers are getting so bad. It feels like you've also started hinting, though, that you think, as is often suggested by people, that part of what's happening is that we are be- we are attracting people from other parts of the the country and the region to be homeless here, and that part of what you want to do is tell them that they're not welcome to do that. Well, I want to be explicit on this. We've certainly always known that people do come here into every other city. doesn't matter their uh, geography, their climate. Uh, people have the f- ability to freely move about the country. We're a free country, and that happens. What I'm talking about is because of the fact that the vast majority of homeless services are in the city of San Diego, that the other cities in our county that are doing little to nothing in this regard are absolutely directing their homeless people to our city. We have mayors who are openly acknowledging the fact that they take their homeless and they drop them in Barrio Logan and East Village. Uh, and they happily have no shelters in their community, no outreach efforts, no affordable housing. They're actually actively working to block more housing in their cities. And that's just not sustainable, nor is it fair to the people that I serve in the terms of the city of San Diego. In the point in time count, when you dig into those numbers and you look and you see that most cities have absolutely zero shelter beds in their communities, that some of those cities actually have reduced the number of shelter beds in their city in the last year, despite the increasing that we're seeing, what you see is the city of San Diego is leading in this regard. The point in time count showed 908 additional housing opportunities in the city of San Diego from last year to now. That's showing the work that my administration, with the help of the city council, is performing. Our reward is that more folks are coming here. 
the vast majority of our own people, and we have to care for them, no question. But I need other mayors and other city councils to step up. Nothing that we're doing in the city of San Diego is magical and reserved to only our geography. You can open a safe parking lot in your city. You can open a shelter in your city. You can uh, provide bus passes and the other kinds of solutions that are available in the community. It just happens to be that folks often say are happy to not do that. They do all the enforcement without the services. That just can't continue. There seems to be a lot of concern that if you do pass the ordinance on Tuesday and you do start enforcing it, that these traditional centers of where people find services, particularly in East Village, will 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 suddenly not allow people to sleep out and often wait for those shelters or just uh, be there, and they'll spread out into other neighborhoods, um, affecting those neighborhoods even worse, particularly Barry Logan and other places, or they'll die and um, and they'll suffer in ways that they wouldn't have had they been closer to both their own community or or these services. What's your response to that? I think both elements of that are not accurate. Because first off, descri- describing that they're going to go somewhere else, Scott, they already are there. I'm struck by the fact that I can't really go to any neighborhood in the city where people are not frustrated by encampments in the presence of unsheltered individuals. It's everywhere. So the suggestion that they're going to suddenly appear in a different neighborhood, let me just tell you straight, they're already there. The second part is the ordinance. There's nothing specifically geographic in terms of neighborhood. Uh, There are parks in downtown. There are parks in Barrio Logan. There are schools in those communities. Every community has sensitive sites where this prohibition will apply. All the council districts will have the same levels of protection. Um, and with regard to them dying on the streets, they're dying now, Scott. And that's what's so frustrating to to have people turn down the interventions and the offers of assistance and watching them die on the street, largely, in my view, from fentanyl. The numbers from the medical examiner show that that is the driving reason that we're seeing such a huge uptick. So they're absolutely tragic cases. One of your reporters was sharing one of those instances with me recently and suggesting that this ordinance for this very medically fragile individual was going to be detrimental to them. I think living on the street is detrimental to someone who's that medically fragile. Getting into a shelter is far preferable than living on the sidewalk. Yeah. One of the things we did a piece about this week was actually when you look back over the last 10 years of homelessness, there hasn't been a dramatic increase in the numbers when you use the point in time count in particular. Obviously, there has been a dramatic shift in both the visibility and in particular into the center of San Diego, the center city area. And it's really affected, and I th- I would argue that part of that change was accompanied by the presence of tents and encampments. That uh, it created communities, it created more visibility, it created, in their minds, often safety and and community that they appreciated. But also, like you said, it, it has uh, negative elements. And I think that um, when I suggested last year at this time that we should uh, try to facilitate that uh, that desire to build communities by giving them places that they could go, safe uh, camping in particular. Uh, honestly, your staff was very contemptuous of that idea, and and now we're embracing it. What has changed over that year as you've now decided, like, that's actually a big part of the solution? Well, Scott, one of my frustrations about this issue is that, you know, as we've expanded shelter options and we get those refusals, you know, I often sit here feeling frustrated and saying, yeah. you know, you, you can't say no. You got you to gotta say yes to this. So if I use that same uh, rule to, on my own self, then then I need we need to move forward with, an, with this new option. 
Will it work? I'm hopeful that it will. I'm, I, smart people tell me they think it will be helpful. If it doesn't, we can obviously retool it. But ultimately, uh, in the midst of this crisis, we need to try every option that we possibly have. And our comprehensive shelter strategy speaks to that, right? It's not just large uh, sprung structure tents like we're very familiar here in San Diego. It's a host of other interventions trying to diversify and deepen and enrich the offerings that we have so that people will utilize them. But again, if I'm frustrated by them turning down uh, a particular housing option, uh, I can't do that uh, myself. I need to, to open up and that's what we've done. Point out that we did provide money in last year's budget to actually set up a safe sleeping site, but no one uh, really bit on that. Yeah. Um, but I think why this is going to be successful this time or why there may be more support for it is the fact that it's coupled with greater enforcement. People are frustrated by the amount of spending that we're doing and not seeing results. I think that the both and approach uh, will get the kind of support that we couldn't get from just doing safe sleeping by itself. You mentioned the mental health crisis, and obviously we all see it. We, we uh, The Union Tribune's own big section on it was in, was incredible and disturbing. I do think there's this, we often have this desire to find, like, I keep calling it the perfect homeless person, this veteran who's not using drugs, who's mentally uh, there, who just lost their job, and well, we can help them, or the the youth that's uh, in a bad situation, and we can, we can set aside an area for them, or the, the women who are single. There's always this, like, kind of like trying to find the perfect one, but you know, that, that you want to help that's okay to help. And then there's this other that's just dark and they're lost. And in fact, they're so bad that maybe something more, you know, cruel needs to be done. And I feel like the, the more this conversation advances, the more that that happens, there's so many people who have so, I think, othered that population that it's it that there's a real possibility that cruel solutions could emerge. There's already, you know, open talk about, creating a concentration camp for them far away that where they could they could live and and deal with and we wouldn't have to see them and you know bill walton other people have in, endorsed that how do you raise the alarm like you are and not go to that place especially as that's how you started this career where you're like no we can't criminalize them we can't we can't make them dehumanize we can't but Yet you're you're also getting close to like this is this is they have they have made choices that we can't accept and and can't be tolerated. Yeah, I love that meditation because that's very much a lot of my mind. I'm in uncomfortable conversations with constituents who are alluding to what their solution is, and the solutions are not legal. Right. Uh, and how do you satiate someone who's that upset uh, when what they're asking for is not actually feasible? Mm. Um, we won't. Right. We're we're not going to do that. That's why it's important to me that we reiterate every possible time. It's not unsafe camping ordinance by itself, right? It is in tandem with a significant and ongoing commitment to provide more services. I also just know that people are very frustrated and they really are skeptical about why we continue to make investments for people that, as you mentioned, are not entirely without blame and without fault. They're not all sympathetic. Many of them have very troubling situations, but the current state of affairs is just not acceptable. You know, we as a state used to institutionalize most of these people. Then we ended that and we incarcerated a lot of them for a long period of time. Now we don't really do that. What we're doing is ignoring them. And that just isn't working either. We have to have a better solution. And I believe that what the city is attempting to do in terms of that rich offering of outreach, shelter, and services is the right path. But it has to be coupled with some consequences and some real recognition that for some of these folks, you have to have a bit of a tougher approach because the ability to just sit around and, and do drugs and and not engage in a, in a, in a, in a healthy way um, is 
in some cases currently permitted. And I want to be a mayor that says very clearly that is not permissible, not in our city. I need to let you go, but do you have the votes? Well, we're going to convince the council. You know, I listen, I've talked to council members. We've tried to develop this with them in mind. They're closer to this than I am, right? They're the ones that are in all of these council districts talking with people every single day. They see it firsthand. They contact our office for assistance in terms of cleanups and other efforts. They know what's going on. And I think they, too, are frustrated for having done all the right things, establishing uh, new shelters for the substance abusers, establishing a f- the first coordinated citywide street outreach. I mean, they have made these investments. They have been on this journey with us. And I think they understand why this is necessary. Um, ultimately, it's going to be in their hands. I'm hopeful and optimistic they'll pass it. The status quo cannot continue. They know that. I know that. The general public knows that. I believe that this will pass and we will be in a better position to not only help those who need help, uh, but restore basic order in our public spaces for all San Diegans to enjoy. Mayor Todd Gloria, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in this part of San Diego known as Greater Little Italy. Don't forget about that link, vosd.org slash podpeople. That's vosd.org slash podpeople. We rely on generous listeners who value this work just like you do to keep the lights on and keep all of our staff who are critical to making voice work. We need to raise $300,000 by the end of June. Please give today at vosd.org slash podpeople. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Nate John is our producer. Adam Greenfield helped produce this episode. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.